Hi, this is Jess Porter. You're listening to The List. I am speaking today with my lovely friend, Jen Castellani, who I met a million years ago. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jess. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. It's so good to be talking to you. I'm calling from Los Angeles, but you are where? I'm in Anchor Point, Alaska, in between Homer and Anchor Point. You and I met as roommates at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in probably 1987. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking yesterday. I was like, oh, my dog, I was only 19 or 20. We were young and dumb, and but both <gasps> actresses, and we were hit it off as roommates incredibly well, and we smoked lots of pot. And listen to Pink Floyd every night. Yeah, it was super fun. I was just remembering how I finally learned what a duvet was. A duvet cover? (laughs) (laughs) Is that for me? We had to to bring, yes, we had to bring our bedding to the Mm -hmm. Institute. And uh, I was like, how do I pack this? And uh, you just whipped out this thing and it was like, what? You're like, it's a duvet. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So amazing. (laughs) You know, we lost touch for a while, but then I remember I was in London cooking for a member of Pink Floyd, which made me think of you almost every day. I found your mother, because I remembered her name, in your hometown of (laughs) St. Joe, Missouri. (laughs) And she gave me a number for you, but she said it was a satellite phone and that you'd moved to Alaska. Yeah. So will you tell the listeners the story of you and Paul moving to Alaska and, like, your home? Sure. I'm going to not cry. <laughs> no, all of a sudden, I didn't think you'd ask me that. And I was just like, it, it was such a sweet, it is such a sweet story because Paul and I went to high school together. And um, when I was about... 15 or 16, I realized he was the first person I ever was, I ever loved outside of my family members. And so mm-hmm. uh, we had become really good friends. And um, then we started dating a couple years later. And then in my high school yearbook, he, you know, he's like, hey, Jenny, have a great summer. Don't get wasted. Love Paul. And then I was like, what? <laughs> that's all. And he says, turn the page, blah, blah, blah. So I turned to the page and it says, will you marry me? I didn't know this part of the story, but keep going. And then years go by and he had moved to Alaska in the middle of Denali National Park at this resort called Tantishna. He went out there to be a dishwasher and just learned all the plants of the tundra and And all the guides kept asking him, what's this plant, what's this? (laughs) So finally, he became a guide himself. And then um, he spent a couple years doing that. Hey, listener, this is Jess. My editing is really bad, and I didn't get all the parts of the story to flow together. So at this point, Jen goes to visit Paul in Alaska. I spent the winter from January to March out in Denali National Park in a small private inholding 
um, where we didn't see the sun over Boucher's Ridge for, you know, 10, 11 weeks, maybe. Wow. Yeah. And then March started happening, and the sun comes ripping back in March. Oh, my dog. And you decided to move there? After, after I left, I went, I'm going to ask him to marry me now. Because... <laughs> mm. That was fun. We were in this little tiny cabin for all those weeks, and it was just like the middle of nowhere, you know? Mm. And I just realized how much I loved him. Fast forward 30 years, we're married, we have two beautiful children, and we started a farm um, 20 years ago. We just started growing food once we were in Alaska, and and then uh, later Paul realized he wanted to be a farmer, and I was all for that because... The smartest guy I know, and I was just glad it wasn't the ivory towers or a mortgage broker or, (laughs) you know, I was going to stick with this guy no matter what. Wow. So you guys decided on this place that you wanted to build your home. Uh Uh-huh. And as far as I know the story, there was no road to the plot of land that you bought, correct? Correct. How did you build the house? Oh, we cut trees and built a cabin and then later we cut trees I mean and at we added on to the cabin by building a timber frame kind of outside of it and then somehow fit it together it was pretty magical and so we lived in the deep woods what were deep woods once so you so we built like snowshoed out into the forest cut down trees, <laughs> milled them, and made your current domicile with your own hands, right? Um, uh, Paul milled the lumber. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. And how far was the closest road to the house you were building? At this point? Um, Originally. Like a mile and a half, maybe? Yeah, a mile and a half. It was like a solid 45-minute hike. Now... Didn't one of your sets of parents, like, buy you a road one Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We, yes. We, they were like, um, we want to see our grandchildren one day. We need to buy them a road. I know. The hike through the woods was so beautiful, though. Anyhow, um, what... I guess it was the hiking with the kids and the and although Paul and I never spoke about it out loud, we knew that some at some point that it was getting old and we were too and then Paul's father was very generous and gave us enough money to buy lots of gravel. So you now have two kids and you have been growing organic vegetables for how long? Um, we just had, last year was our 20th year, the farmer's market, but we've mm-hmm. been growing food since we've been here. So, you know, easily 26 years we've had gardens. And um, the kids are 19 and 20, 22, and they're wonderful, wonderful boys. And they got to eat they carrots are. and pick onions. And, uh, and did you homeschool them, Jen, for most of their lives? I did up until about um, Leo, my oldest son, went to school in the brick and mortar when he was a freshman. And my son Theodore, three years later, went to school at the brick and mortar when he was halfway through eighth grade. It was 
brutal. It was brutal, you know. What was brutal? Oh, just like putting your kids in a school when they've never been in a school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But now Theodore's at Dartmouth. He came back last May and took a because withdrawal. Because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, exactly. Mm-hmm. And But yes, he is still enrolled and he plans on going back to, back to Hanover this fall. After so you did pretty good. Well, so did the kids. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, yeah, for homeschooling, my sister was like, well, that's, that deserves a pat on your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And you and I were talking about how Theodore at Dartmouth is like, because climate change and back to nature and sustainability are all, you know, very important and sort of, groovy, cool topics amongst the young. Thank you, God. Um, Yes. Here's this kid who, like, grew up without a road to his house, who knows how to, like, (laughs) grow every single thing imaginable and, like, you know, probably wrestle a moose. And that's super cool. I love that. Totally wild. I can't imagine. What a transition it must be for my children, you know, to be, to have had this and then that, you know, it just mm-hmm. must have been mm-hmm. insane. And Leo still lives in Alaska, correct? Oh, yes. God bless his heart. He lives really, like as the crow flies, probably 15 miles from us. And he's growing his prefrontal lobe. And so we try and leave him alone as much as we can. <laughs> But it's like, it's so tantalizing because he's so fucking close, you know? It's like, ah. Oh. Right, right. I just want to see that young mug. Mm-hmm. That redhead. Yeah. He's quite a redhead. Yeah, I know. He's such a redhead. So I'm going to start with, I'm grateful for my older sister. I'm looking at a picture that was taken of us uh, when we were little kids. It was like one of those photo shoots that your parents sets up like once a year, once every five years, like let's take the kids uh-huh. out to the woods and take pictures of them. And, um, <laughs> and I'm standing up and I have this weird like Raggedy Ann dress on, like it's a little dress and it has an apron on it and Raggedy Ann is on the apron and the dress that Raggedy Ann is wearing, there's a zipper on it and, you, and so you zip up that zipper on the picture of Raggedy Ann and it says, I love you under it. So this picture is yeah. my sister, like, pointing to that, and I'm laughing, and it's this moment that's so lovely to see, because my sister and I, you know, we've had a journey. It's not always been easy, and lately it's just gotten better and better, and we have more and more in common, and we appreciate more and more how one another is changing as we get older. I think it's funny how we can, I've said this many times in the podcast, but that we continue to change, like nothing stands still. And to watch your sibling change, you know, she started cooking this year. She's never cooked a decent meal in her life. She did like noodles and steamed vegetables. And now she's cooking. She's like, oh, I made this doll and I love this other type of (gasps) doll and I did a squash soup. And I mean, it just, she stepped into it with like the discipline and the force of an athlete, which is what she is. And she's running a school and she's like discovering who she is as a leader. And wow. it's really cool to watch her continue to grow. And, and she's, you know, reflects similar things back to me. So this picture that I have of us from this 
photo shoot like out in the woods in Toronto when I was probably four and she was probably eight. Wow. Like we didn't know back then what our lives would be, like how they would intersect and not intersect, like whether it would be a fun relationship or a difficult one. And so it's interesting to have a picture of us from like the before and now as we live our version of it today, just to, uh, you know, follow the thread. Because your sibling relationships are really the longest ones in your life. Yeah. If you could find that Raggedy Ann thing and take a new picture with you two of the age you are now, (laughs) with the same pose, go out in the woods. It would just be in So it'd be great if I actually family. got the actual dress because the dress for like a girl girl <laughs> put it on and it would go down to my belly button. And it would, I'd yes. Be like, my, oh, that's so funny. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but had that on her belly. Like, did you ever have a did right she? candle? Wow, okay. Yep. Makes more sense. She was yeah. not, ana- she was so not anatomically correct. But I mean, she was emotionally yeah. correct. <laughs> she, yeah. Well, I too am grateful for family and not only my own little family that I got to build out here and my kids Mm. love Alaska and they want to stick around and that seems like so cool, but I'm grateful for the family that I grew up in and also that, that my parents grew up in and I'm just like, as I'm getting older, I just have these waves of what's behind me and what's in front of me just pounding in my consciousness right now I think about all the times of these people finding out who they were and what they wanted and and their connections and their disappointments and and it's just really outstanding like how stupid brave we all are (laughs) you know like wow I mean, love is so real, and I remember just kind of having this spiritual experience of remembering that love is so real, and um, to know that it can touch even rotten people, you know. Um, Wow. And it just seems like we get that from our families, I think, because I remember my mom, um, she said that you basically marry your mother. You know, if you get married, you marry a person like your mother. And Paul is so much Mm. like my mom because he loves me unconditionally. Mm. And that's what my mom taught me. Mm -hmm. Because no matter even what a rat I was, and uh, no, she still loved me and she still does. And I'm I'm so Mm. grateful to have her in my life. My dad even, you know, I'm so grateful to have him in my life. He, you know, we had some bad years too and what do you mean by love is real oh well there's something out there that wants us to be here more than we even know and why even when we go through these trials and tribulations why do we need to want to be here like what is it that's bringing us all here you know like i was thinking about how atoms are mostly empty and I'm made up of all these atoms, yet I can see my hand. So what? what's up, dog? I mean, really? <laughs> what gives? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, all this other science comes into my head about E equals MC squared. And so I'm realizing that energy is like 
mass, you know, like I'm massive, you know, I'm matter, speed of light. So you just got to slow down and make yourself matter. And that's it's like, oh, I know. It's just you do. You just, you have slowed down and you're matter now. And so, I don't know. It just all came together like Dude. this explosion for me. I was just sitting there one night because <laughs> this is true. And if I use that as something, you know, that can gauge my, I don't know. I just, it's just so real. What I've learned about love for me is that love is like a fertilizer. And when I love somebody, it's a force field Mm. that helps that person grow another millimeter. And the less ego I bring to the equation, the more love can be in the force field. Mm. And that is real. Like you're either bringing the force field or you're not. And even... You know, it's one of the things where people say about plants, you know, like talk to your plants. Well, you don't need to say much, but you, if you bring the force field, like the plant mm-hmm. feels it. Any, mm-hmm. any organism would feel that force field. And, yeah. you know, a house that doesn't have people in it for a long time, you come, you enter it, it feels like stagnant. It feels like there's been, because there's been no force field in it. And in there's that really respect, love for me is real. It's not an idea. It's, it's a force field. Well, it's so expansive. And, you know, so if you do add love to something, you just get more. But I was just, I wanted to say this about this old saying I love, that the best fertilizer is the farmer's shadow. What does that mean? Isn't it? Okay. So what is the farmer's shadow? It's like the guy walking around and he gets to see what is needed or wanted or he gets to listen or, you know. And if you don't cast your shadow, you don't know what's going on in the lower field. You know, if you don't cast your shadow, you you don't know what the plants are saying. You know, feed me, water me. I love so that. So I love that old thing. Yeah. Um, it reminded me when you said that about plants. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They know all about that. Right. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, they do. I'm really grateful for Alaska. You know, the mm. times that I've been there, it's just been... It's a place of extremes, and so I have extreme memories. And I don't mean extreme like mm. horror memories. I just mean, mm. you know, the it's cold when it's cold, and it's bright when it's bright, and it's warm <laughs> when it's warm. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic. The terrain is fantastically beautiful. And uh-huh. I remember the last time I was there when I saw you guys, and it was early June. So mm-hmm. it wasn't the solstice yet, but we were getting there. And, mm-hmm. and I remember saying to a friend, like, I'm going to be in Alaska for five days and there's only going to be, you know, so much darkness in that time. And, and of course, there's really no complete blackout at that point of the year. You know, mm-hmm. like there's no, even in the middle of the night, there's, there's light. And, right. and I came back and I said, you know, you go to Alaska and it's like a 20-hour day but it's really not a 20-hour day. It's more like I just had a 128-hour day because you never feel like it's night. And five days was 120 hours maybe. And that's what it felt like. And it was, there's a mania in it 
when mm-hmm. you don't have that balancing mechanism of, you know, falling into sleep really deeply and falling into the night on a regular basis. And I remember the people at that macrobiotic community, Ionia, were, you know, going to festivals. And it was like, this is the time to be out and yeah. about. And the sun, like, keeps you up. And there's just no stopping it. And I don't think I'd ever been there that time of year. But I just, I don't know. It's just a freaky thing. But Alaska, what a cool place. I'm really grateful for Alaska. Well, me too. Am I just going to, like, parrot you this whole time because I'm so grateful for Alaska. <laughs> but I want to know why you are because it'll be different. Than oh, exactly. Are. Yeah, exactly. Well, Alaska, I, um, it's just so raw and young. And if you want to be a farmer, you can start a farm up here. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if, I don't know, there's just so much you can do. It's got the can-do spirit. And so... Like, it wasn't just this can-do spirit, but you could. You could do it. You could look at the trees outside and go, I'm going to build a cabin with those. And I don't know who I would have become if I stayed in America. And um, Mm -hmm. I just really like the choices I had. Like, here's what I I was always scared of, like, if I, when I grew up, I'd have to, like, put on pantyhose every day and, like, you know, tuck in my shirt to go to work or something like that freaked me out. And I did not want to do that. I like, sure. But I just, I was so scared of what my bereft culture and country had to offer me. Mm. I was so scared of that. I, and I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to become that. Mm-hmm. I wanted a little more. Yeah. And I feel like Alaska let me have that. You know, and and mm-hmm. and all very you know gently, you know it was gentle. Mm. Oh, what am I grateful for? So many things. <laughs> there's there's a pack of coyotes that lives somewhere <gasps> on the hill behind my house, wow. and like two weekends ago, I was woken up in the middle of the night by these coyotes <sighs> all sort of howling. Yep. yep, yep. yep. Yeah. And I was walking the other day around where I live, and one of them just crossed the street. It (gasps) was out and about. Wow. I love that where I live, I hear owls in the middle of the night. Mm. I hear the coyotes as Mm. the spring. I moved here, like, November 1st, so I was, you know, the winter was just beginning when I moved here. But now as spring starts to open up, I hear more and more birds every morning and but really I'm weirdly grateful for the coyotes I just think that's so cool it's like where do you live oh right outside Topanga Canyon with a pack of coyotes you know (laughs) come on yeah coyotes yeah I know but that's such a beautiful place that you can have that right next to you know all that busyness all the busyness totally I Damn it, Jess, because I'm grateful for wolves. (laughs) You know, because we hear wolves howling around here. Yeah, and um, we just, um, Theodore walked up to this trail the other day. We got a little heads up from a neighbor that there was a wolf kill. And so we 
you know, Theodore went to go look at the blood spots and the moose chunks. And wow. Yeah, but I'm just wow. I'm just so happy that that I can't that they're still around. You know that like we still have that ex mm-hmm. experience of wilderness in our lives, or that we can yeah. that one can have that that one can have that mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. I'm grateful. I'm going to go play cards today with two of my friends who I played cards with through the entire pandemic. And yeah, I'm really, really grateful for both of them. Anybody you spent the pandemic with in Mm -hmm. a real sort of in the same room way. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. whether the pandemic has affected your lifestyle much at all, but that's a whole other question. But I'm really, really grateful for Helen and Ernie who have been like my brother and sister through this whole thing. And we see each other every week, Mm -hmm. almost without fail. And we scream and yell and play cards, this game that we, it's like a progressive form of rummy, but we call it bunches and grups. And I, (laughs) and I learned it in my family growing up. And the bond that we've created over the last year is I just think it'll be very interesting to see as we emerge out of this pandemic, how those pandemic relationships sort of seal themselves in our subconscious Mm -hmm. minds, Mm -hmm. because this has been a very special, intense time, and Mm -hmm. who we were in the so-called trenches with, you know, you can't undo that. And it was very close, very close uh, and fun, and I think we helped each other enormously. So I'm really grateful for them. Well, strangely enough, I I feel grateful for the pandemic. Mm. It's really interesting what it had made us see, too, and it's still making us aware of and see. And I'm grateful for the exposure that, you know, our 2020 vision gave us. Um, I guess I, it sounds weird to be grateful for the pandemic, but that kind of makes you see the people doing the good and the bad and, mm. and all the consequences of such. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm not. No, I am. Be- <laughs> just because what, what it helped our country see, it's like this kind of shaking out the rug time in a way, you mm-hmm. know, like let's, and hopefully that mm-hmm. dust settles because I don't want to be dragging it back in with me. Um, mm-hmm. And it just seems like so much dust has flared up and that we got to see so much that we didn't even want to look at. And I feel like that wouldn't have happened if uh, we didn't have such mm-hmm. great economic societal change. God, our list could be longer, couldn't it? There always can be longer. They're endless, actually. I love it. I love it. <laughs>